Hello, hello. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Rwanda, this is the afternoon show with Dr. Harine Otieno. Hello and welcome to the Sunday Afternoon Show. It is Sunday afternoon. It is Africa's own education doctor and education evangelist on air talking about Africa's education matters. And today we'll be talking about the African girl child. We have guests lined up and we expect to have an exciting conversation. The connection between schools and powering up of the African girl child. Live from Rwanda, this is the Afternoon Show with Dr. Harine Otieno on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you, thank you, everybody. I can see that you're yet to have any listeners on board, but yes, it is that Sunday afternoon and it is time to tune in and talk it out on Teachers Talk Radio. We will be talking about the African girl child. What is the role of African schools or classrooms in powering up the African girl child. So we expect to have some conversations. We have two guests lined up for us. One will come in straight away. Uh, Yuri, if you're ready in the house, please let me know. And we'll later have another guest joining us towards the end of the show to talk about a special school tucked somewhere in Ghana, a special school for African girls, the African Science Academy. So on air, as you may expect, on a Sunday afternoon on Teacher's Talk Radio is Africa's own education doctor, Dr. Herino Tienomenia. Of course, I'm tuning in from the heart of the country with a thousand hills, Rwanda. So I'm tuning in from Kigali. And I'm looking forward for to, I'm looking forward to a very uh, engaged conversation. Earlier on, on my show, I, I had, um, I mean, three or four weeks ago, I had a conversation about the boy child and we had quite some interesting conversation about the African boy child. And we talked about how we must actually raise our hand for the African boy child. And today, because we celebrated Monday this week, uh, the day, the International Day of the Girl Child, we thought it wise to stop and think about the African girl child. So um, I'm just trying to look at, um, at I'm trying to look at, at um, our guest who's trying to join in and um, just to uh, kind of give him some guidance on how to join in. Um, but yes, I think we should be expecting more people to come in and our guests will be coming in and we'll start a conversation. We have a special guest, an African, a parent to an African girl child, a male parent to an African girl child. And we want to hear his perspective on what he believes um, schools should do to better power up his daughter and looking back at his own experience as a boy child growing up what does what can he say about what happened during the days when he was growing up and what really is going on now when he has the very noble opportunity to bring up a girl child so we're going to have um 
um, a, a very interesting conversation. Um, Yuri, if you're already in the house, please just call in and I will be able to admit you as one of uh, the guests so that we can start this conversation. Yes, I can see Yuri is already here. So Yuri, if you, uh, if you may call in, then I'm going to invite you in. Thank you, thank you. Um, so Yuri is, is joining us in a second. Our guest is already here, tuning in right from Mozambique. And that's the exciting thing about the Sunday afternoon show. When we start, when we talk about the Teachers Talk Radio Sunday afternoon show, then you know we'll be going right into the depths of Africa and we'll be talking matters education in Africa. So we already have our key guest for today, the first guest, Yuri. I'm going to ask him to introduce himself and tell me whether I am pronouncing his name well. And then um, he'll introduce himself briefly. Then we'll get into the substantive uh, part of this conversation. So Yuri, welcome aboard, and thank you once again for accepting to be a guest on Sunday afternoon show. Please introduce yourself to the other listeners. Thank you, um, Doctor. And you can also help me pronounce your name correctly. You pronounced mine beautifully. I have no notes. Uh, oh, thank you. So, <laughs> yes, so uh, my Hireen. name is Kiris Okul. Hereen. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Hereen. Um, so uh, my name is Kiris Okula. I am a financial consultant who is now working in the um, private capital space. But... Uh, education runs through my veins. Uh, my family started a private school in Mozambique in 2001. And now I can say we're one of the top private schools with um, a local uh, national curriculum. Uh, even my wife, uh, her mother had a, had a, had a business uh, which was a um, nursery uh, in pre-K and uh, she inherited the business. So I've been surrounded by a very smart educator women my my entire life and i have two daughters um so so that's my relationship to the african girl child to my knowledge with schools and education uh, i don't come from a pedagog from a pedagogical background as much as from a financial background but uh, even in my constant search for entrepreneurs to support gender is a constant concern and a, a constant uh, theme that we are looking to cater to Thank you. Thank you. We believe uh, we're really looking forward to um, you um, um, amplifying certain aspects of this conversation. First of all, this is a matter that I believe is very close to your heart. As you've said, you are a father to two girls. So when we're talking the African girl child, we're talking about your two daughters. And, more imp and also very important is that you have the role or rather you have the honor through the schools that your family is managing. You see girls walking in and out of the school gates and part of the question we are asking today is what role do schools have in powering up the African culture so we're really looking forward to that conversation and I can see our listeners are streaming in so once again our listeners welcome on board it is a Sunday afternoon show it is Africa's own education doctor and education evangelist and we are talking matters Africa's education, as you may expect. And just to remind us, of course, we are on Teachers Talk Radio. So it's about talking one to another, the teachers talking uh, 
to each other and the different ways through which you can participate in the talking today afternoon one you we can use the text chat as i can see some of you have already started using by saying they're ready or introducing themselves so throughout this show let us try to use a text platform jump into the conversation um, make your comments or your reflection but that's just one option the other option is of course we have the other social media handles especially the twitter handle of the teachers talk radio so you could actually amplify or, uh, or echo some of the things we are uh, talking about here that really resonate with your heart you can actually do that by sharing bites and pieces through the teachers talk radio um twitter handle yeah um, even as we continue the conversation this show is also being streamed on the twitter space uh through the teachers talk handle but here we are today it's an exciting day it's exciting for me i mean when i sat as i sat thinking about why i would like to have this conversation and it's great uh Yuri, you started by saying, you know, um, your entry point is not the pedagogical angle. And I think, yes, we're going to touch a little bit on the pedagogical angle um, or how it is the pedagogical angle might contribute to what we are doing towards, um, towards um, powering up our girls. But as I thought about this show, I think I found myself throughout the week as I, as I kept mulling over this show and the kind of conversation lines that... I might want to pursue in this show. I mean, I found myself reflecting about my own self. I mean, once upon a time, I was a girl child. And I look back to my years before 18 years old when I was in primary school, and especially when I was in secondary school. And I found myself reflecting on some of the school experiences in the classroom, out of the classrooms, the opportunities that I got to interact with my fellow uh, classmates and schoolmates but also outside the school for example you know going out for you know in in kenya for example have opportunity to go out and do things like drama festival and music festival and what was really going on in my mind was that who i am today um a lot of it was shaped not in my university years who i am today as a professional as a mother a lot of it was shaped during my formative years in primary school and in secondary school. So we're going to be delving into some of this, but let me just try and share some data to try and put into context our conversation today. I was reading an article just a few minutes ago, and I must say, this is one of those shows that um, I haven't spent too much time digging into the data. I'm just coming back from a teacher training session. I've been having a teacher training session since yesterday. And when I came in, I was rather exhausted and I took a nap. And I was lucky that the African girl child in my house, my 12-year-old daughter, keeps a tab of the things I've said to do. So she literally woke me up. And um, I almost thought that, you know, the, sh the short time had passed, but I was like, it was just one hour too. But anyway, I spent some time looking at some articles uh, because of course it was an international day for the African culture. So there was quite a bit that was being shared through the social media platforms. And as, as I was reading one of the articles, uh, um, one of the things I found out was that in 2021, um, Sub-Saharan Africa has about 300 million girls that is below 18 years old. So between just below 18 years old, we have 300 million girls. And the projection is that by 2030, this number will have grown by over 20%. So the African girl child, there are no few. I mean, we know that Africa has quite a young population. 
And the girls actually take a, a significant proportion of that young population. So there is real value in us stopping and asking ourselves, what are we doing with our girls now? And especially in our schools, what can we do or how can what can we do better to make sure our girls are powered up to take up to take um, up that um, take advantage of some of the opportunities that their time is going to present to them. But I also want to start on a very um, perhaps um, happy note. I was just thinking about it, and um, I think at the beginning on fourth of October, if I'm not wrong, um, I am in Rwanda, and the Rwanda National Examination was. Uh, results for the year was released. This is an examination that they were doing, I mean, that our students did after, since the pandemic. So we didn't have a national examination in 2020, and then we had a, a national examination in 2021. So there's, there's, there's a group that literally kind of stayed one more year in school. And the national examination results were released. And I know during the pandemic, there was a lot of conversation about the girl child and the fact that, you know, that there was concern and real concern because these were real statistics about girls who had dropped out of school in hordes because of um, perhaps um, getting expectant during that break. But I just wanted to share some good news or rather some very interesting news. Um, when the results for Rwanda were released last week, um, they... They don't rank the schools, but they actually um, presented the top 10 students at the national O-level exams. And what struck us was that over five, I mean, over 50% of the students were girls. So there were more girls in the top 10, um, top 10 students in Rwanda. And they know that the last time we were doing a show on the African boy child, and we looked through some of the statistics from some of the countries, especially in terms of the national examination results. One of the things that we saw for the students who did the exams during the COVID-19 pandemic was that the gender gap in terms of performance was actually not too big. And in a number of countries now like Rwanda, and even I would say, if I remember very well, South Africa, the top students were girls. So perhaps I want to use that as an entry point so that we enter into this conversation with some bright conversation. Um, Yuri, when you hear that, what comes into your mind? Uh, is that what you'd have expected? Is it a surprise? And if so, why? No, it's, uh, it's exactly as I expected. Uh, right from my youth, uh, as a student in high school, you wouldn't go ask the boys for help. <laughs> with mm -hmm. your classwork, <laughs> much smarter mm -hmm. to, 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 to go ask some of the girls. I think that a lot of it comes from um, girls knowing that they may have more stacked up against them. Um, mm -hmm. Boys are taught more that perhaps more will be given to them. They have more expectation mm -hmm. uh, of mm -hmm. the world. And, and perhaps some girls have an innate knowledge that, oh, things aren't going to be quite as easy for me as it's going to mm -hmm. be for the boys. So uh, mm -hmm. I have to work harder. And mm -hmm. I, I see that translated in my work in entrepreneurship that we, mm -hmm. when we're selecting candidates, uh, whether for incubation programs, acceleration programs, uh, there's nowhere near as many female uh, um, submissions or near as many girl submissions as, as, as we'd like there to be. And the few that there are almost automatically go through, not just because of our gender bias, which we do make clear, but also because uh, the quality is just expected to be better. We just know that mm -hmm. the, the, the kind of woman that 
went through the adversities and confidence and all of that to put forward the presentation is, is already ahead of the curve. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not surprised to, to hear that. It is something that I hear. Um, and uh, I, I think that it's a fantastic thing. It is, it, is, it is a fantastic thing that the women are motivated and they're getting further ahead. But it's also a bit sad that it is perhaps because of this realization that things are not going to be as fair to them as it is for the boys. Hmm. So something is, it's like they're making lemonade out of the lemon, treated out to them. And, and, and I know in, in, in our, amongst our listeners are, are our teachers. And I think as you're talking about this, and um, that's the reality about the girl-child conversation. It's not a one-size-fit-all kind of reality. There's an aspect of intersectionality. So in a country like when we're talking about um, the top 10 students who are girls, but um, and 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 there are things that you have said actually contributed to that, and I think part of what why this conversation or why it is important to pause and think about these things and articulate them is that then maybe we can be more deliberate uh, in terms of drawing those aspects out of our girls. So there's something you talked about which is really important: the issues of asking for help. Um, that one one of the one of the avenues for one to actually do well in anything is having that mindset that you know it's okay to ask for help. It is okay that if I'm stuck, I can ask for help. And and normally the girls are more open to asking for help. And I think our teachers listening should pick that up and actually amplify that amongst our students for the sake of the boys, for the sake of the girls, but the girls should know that is something they have with them that they should take advantage of. And then you talked about an aspect of persistence and resilience. They're actually responding to some difficult situation or reality. And so they're drawing, you're saying that part of what may have contributed to this is they're being able to draw back in and fight back and say, you know, things are not going to work out for me. If I stayed in school, I'd better get it right. So the aspect of persistence and resilience is one of the things that, again, research and evidence shows girls tend to bring out well if it is fostered in them, if it is something that they are made aware of and they are actually um, made to be conscious about and trained on how they can actually draw on it. And the reason why I'm saying all this is because why we, we, we can be very excited about the top performing students the reality is still that um, overall, um, the story is not uniform. We can't. We 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 definitely know that. Even when you look at the country data, like in this case, I was looking at at, at Rwanda's data. Yes, we had the top students having more girls, but then now when you go across, you'll still see that the boy child is ahead of the girl child. And I always say, for me, it's not about wanting the girls to be on top of the boys or the boys to be on top of the girls, but basically asking ourselves whether the girls are doing the best that they could do. And the data out there is still a little worrying because, um, again, when we look at completion rates from our schools, uh, as much as there's aspects of the reverse uh, gap where we have situations where the girls are doing much better than the boys, especially at the top. Um, We still have a situation where um, completion rates are much lower amongst the girls compared to the boys in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, um, We have, in some cases, at lower secondary school, only 44% of the girls that start school 
uh, actually completing school and these numbers actually become lower at higher secondary level. And this becomes even worse when we're talking about countries where there's conflict and violence. And we know that in, in our continent, we have a few of those instances where some of our countries sometimes face conflict and violence. And the data suggests that in such cases, uh, it can go up, up to 90%. So, so on one end, the data is showing us if we keep the girls in school and if we work with them quite well, they actually can do bring out their potential and actually uh, give a boy the boys a run for their money. But on the other hand, the data is telling us that not as many of our girls are actually completing school. So the big question is, in your own tech, now that you run a school, now that you have your two girls, and of course, as you said, you're surrounded by many powerful women in education. What are some of the factors that may be contributing or the things within the school, especially, that may be contributing to our girls not completing um, school, dropping out? It's a, it's a fantastic question. It's more of a problem in uh, public schools. I'm, I'm in the private mm -hmm. school area. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. in the public school, in, in, in that area, I would think it's uh, a lot has to do with um, underage pregnancy. Well, I don't know mm -hmm. what's underage, but mm -hmm. let's say teenage, teenage pregnancy is a massive, massive contributor. There's a lot of girls that get pregnant. And then um, eventually coming back to school after that is quite difficult. Uh, in the rural areas, you know, poverty is a big contribution. And there's, there's, a, there's also um, a racial disparity here. If somebody living in, in rural areas has five children, he's likely to have three girls and two boys. My father has five sisters and an, mm -hmm. one brother. And that's mm -hmm. very typical. My mother... My mother is one of five with one brother. And that's very mm -hmm. typical here. So mm -hmm. uh, when parents are hedging their bets in terms of which ones are we going to invest in, uh, unfortunately, they do see uh, the girl will eventually have her own family and the boy is the one who must make money to take care of us. So I, mm -hmm. I, I think that, that, that those kind of structures are some of the things. Um, and then it, it depends region to region. So uh, some of our regions still have lots of problems with um, child, child marriages, but that's not a problem across the board, but it is a specific yes. problem in, in some places. So I think mm -hmm. uh, e each area has their own thing to be looked at. So if I was to look at urban areas, you know, in semi-urban areas mm -hmm. and, and in the cities, why is this completion rate so low? I would say we need to look at family planning. We need to look at sexual education. Uh, we need to look at those factors because, as we know, a boy can get a girl pregnant and it won't stop his life at all. His parents or the girl's mm -hmm. parents will have to take care of it and he can continue school completely different situation for her. So in the urban areas, we would have to look at those kind of situations. And uh, I think that in rural areas, it starts to get trickier because it's the quagmire of poverty. It's the, it's the trap of poverty that is so difficult to have easy answers to. Yeah, no, this, this is quite true because uh, when you look at some of the rights issues that are openly being discussed when you're talking about the culture, there's the issues of access um, to quality education, access to health and reproductive health, um, issues related to uh, 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 sexual and um, reproductive health education. But I just want to pause for us. I want to ask you a question because 
I know, I mean, normally, like when you said urban, for example, you said one of the things we could do is talk about um, family planning and reproductive health education. Um, and as you said, you gave a very stark and reality that, you know, the boys might get the girl to get a baby and the boy goes on to, to school. So how do we stop the girl from getting that baby if they're going to get in that relation? But the truth, though, is, I mean, if we dig in a little deeper, you are not just um, a school owner in the urban area. Um, and you have a you, you are you're affiliated to a private school. So basically, these are urban girls and you are a father to two girls. Do you think that your first priority for your daughters is going to be um, family planning and reproductive health? Uh, educate. I mean, there's. A, I mean, to what? What's the balance between those two angles of conversation or actions? I think. I think that it's a conversation that, um, especially nowadays with the advent of social media and the different things, it's a conversation mm -hmm. that has to be had earlier and earlier. And it has to mm -hmm. do with the maturity of your children. So mm -hmm. um, it's a conversation that I'm starting to have in more sophisticated ways with my daughter, who is 12, mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. with my son, who is 11. These things don't mm -hmm. impact him yet. He doesn't really see them around him. He's, he's not aware yet that girls even exist. But, but mm -hmm. my, my daughter is starting to see the politics. She sees on TV. She sees all these things. So I think that there are mm -hmm. conversations that need to be had very early, they must not be taboo, um, especially in the city, because in the city, uh, so many things are tied into your place in social status, how likable you are, how you display mm -hmm. your sexuality or how you don't display your sexuality, whether you have a boyfriend or you don't, or you have a girlfriend or you don't. So um, I think that it's conversations that need to be had very early. They need to be mm -hmm. had carefully. And it's conversations that in which parents have to go into learning as well, because Mm -hmm. Generations are different. It's been shown mm -hmm. that as generations progress, the changes become more exponential. So these mm -hmm. children have a different reality to us. They have the same emotions mm -hmm. as a young child that mm -hmm. thinks everything is the end of the world, but it's mm -hmm. coming at them in different ways. And mm -hmm. uh, it has to be dealt with differently. And I, I have a little sister who's 15 mm -hmm. years younger than me, so very much younger. And I saw how it was for her growing up. I remember the problems she had when she was 12 and, and with boys and, and harassing and all of that. And mm -hmm. uh, that technology has already changed in the space. So the conversation I'm going to have with my daughter now, who's 12, is different than the conversation I had with my sister 15, uh, 15 years ago. And it's a different conversation than the one I'm going to have with my smallest daughter, who's three years old now. Mm -hmm. When she becomes 12, it's going to be a different conversation. So we must we must always, always be learning and understanding that they are taking part of in a world that we don't completely understand because we're not in it anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we must just be understanding and try not to be too authoritarian with it, I think, I think is one of the key things. And that goes as a teacher as well. So I, I neglected to mention in my bio that I was a teacher for two years at the University of Cape Town. I wasn't a lecturer, but mm -hmm. I was a teacher's assistant, which meant I taught mm -hmm. smaller classes of 25. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I really like, uh, I mean, I'm picking from what you're saying. And one of the things you're saying is conversations, conversations, conversations. And those conversations should be fairly informed, should fairly be responsive to the situation, or you know, there should be some effort made to try and appreciate the context within which the students, our young girls are growing up. Because 
uh, the dynamics change quite a bit. And if we go into that conversation, um, my daughters always make fun to me, uh, uh, fun of me when I say, in my days, you know, I did this. And then my 12-year-old daughter will tell me, well, mom, the important part is in your days. So, yes. so I think what you're saying is that we need to open up spaces for conversations, but we have to be very strategic and thoughtful about the kind of conversations that you're having. And what I'm hearing you say is that, well, parents may have those conversations, but perhaps we need to interrogate or ask ourselves in how how much conversations or how how um, how our schools create an environment for these conversations to happen. Because sometimes, uh, you know, students, our children actually spend more time in school yes. than at home. Yes. Sometimes yes. they make uh, the greatest connections um, with either friends or even spending time with a teacher sometimes more than they spend with us at home. And so if yes. conversations is going to be a key part to trying to help our girl child navigate the realities that they're finding themselves in, things that may contribute to uh, what you're seeing now in terms of dropout rates or even having falling into quote-unquote the trap of teenage uh uh, pregnancies. I think one of the things we should be reflecting on and we should be asking ourselves as teachers is how conversational are we outside wanting to teach the mathematics or the biology or the chemistry and wanting the students to master yes. the concept? To what extent are our, um, how deliberate are we with our con in our conversations? And when you think back, I, I just want you to think back, when you think back to your school days, and perhaps when you look at how things have evolved, were schools, I mean, was it always the norm that it was a given that a child would feel safe enough to have conversations, this kind of conversations? A boy is talking to me. I don't know how to respond to this boy. You know, how was it during your days in school and how are things now in school? And what should we be thinking about? That's, that's such an interesting, interesting question. Um, I think that one of the key differences between my day and, and, and today is uh, the, the open time that was allowed to do that. I don't know why, but scheduling in schools has changed very much since our earlier days. Now the kids kind mm -hmm. of have back-to-back -back classes all the time. But in my day and perhaps in your day as well, we had something called homeroom. Did, did you have homeroom? Which is kind um... of... Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, time. Yes, it's kind of if you don't really have a period, you, you go and mm -hmm. you stay with, with your little class. So what would happen in these dead periods is whichever teacher you, you have an affection with, mm -hmm. you would have that time to go speak to them. And mm -hmm. um, in these days when I see, and I, I neglected to mention, I forgot, I actually do have a lot of uh, roots in education. My auntie, my favorite auntie, I don't mind saying, is the headmistress of a public school here. So, so I do mm -hmm. have some experience there. And I was thinking about her as you were speaking and, and, and her stories. And she has, mm -hmm. she has literally thousands of girls. And when we meet, mm -hmm. she's often telling the story of, of, of one girl or another. And she has to continuously actively make this effort to be available, to try mm -hmm. and identify, to try mm -hmm. and in smaller interactions and in larger interactions, not put herself of somebody. Um, uh, intimidating is important because authority is important, but but somebody you can still approach. And mm -hmm. I think that 
when, when I think of our other school, I think that social stigma is higher these days. I don't think that students mm -hmm. are as close to their teachers as they used to be. Mm -hmm. When I think of the private schools context, I think in the public school context, it's different because you're right. Uh, students spend so much more time there. They may even see the teacher more than they see their, their parent. And if they feel mm -hmm. this teacher sees me as a human being and was once a human being as well, they will feel comfortable uh, uh, approaching them. But I think, I think that's a, a wonderful, wonderful question. Yes. And I think we all have certain yeah. teachers that we remember fondly that advised us outside of biology class, obviously. Um, yes, 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 yes. And, and, and I guess uh, we have quite a number of teachers online listening, and I would like to perhaps pose this question to the teachers um, so that some of, our, some of our teachers hopefully can respond via the text, uh, whether how easy it is or how easy it is or how usual it is for us to have conversations with our students about some of these real life issues. You know, do we because again, our teachers are also working under a very, um, a very. I mean, things have gotten thicker. There's a sense that there's more to cover in school. The curriculum, for some reason, this every country seems to revise their curriculum. But in most cases, we say we want to reduce the the load. But I think the pressure for achievement, the pressure for the competition rates are quite high, and so I'm not so sure the extent to which our student teachers feel one, they have the time to actually have these kinds of conversations as often as possible. Number two, they have the skills to, to do so. Because as you say, it's not just about the fact that you were once a student or you were once a girl. Uh, as you said, and it's true, things have changed quite a bit. The kind of um, conversation lines, the exposure um, avenues, actually change with different generation. So uh, it would be interesting to hear from our teachers to how, how confident or how well they feel they're equipped to have these conversations with our girls. And two, whether they, they actually space and time to do that in our African schools. I really will be looking forward to some of the teachers commenting on that. But let's let's keep with this uh, line of conversation. You know, just the other day, I like the way you say authority is important. Um, but I, I, as I said at the beginning, I'm just coming from a teacher training session. And um, in the opening session of a teacher training uh, session yesterday, one of the conversation points was, you know, the kids had been home for so long. So for the first time uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic, they'd gone for break for three months. And so they were coming back to school this week. And so I posed to a question to the teachers. I said, um, is there anything unique we observed about our students after being home for so long and coming back into your classrooms? Is there any unique attributes you noticed um, that perhaps you think is important for you as a teacher to pay attention to as you think about what you're going to do this academic year? And um, one of the feedback from one of the teachers who teaches um, in, a, in a girls' school, uh, she made an interesting um, 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 comment. She said, well, she said she was privileged to have been there uh, to receive these students when the students were coming back home, uh, back to school. So it's a boarding school. And lit, um, she was basically at the gate receiving the, the girls as they came in. And one of the things she said, one of the things she observed is that she observed that the girls was quite carefree. 
she felt that there was a sense that uh, normally when they're in school, there's a certain demeanor they present. There's a sense of perhaps decorum and uh, listening out to the teacher and perhaps look at that sense of um, an authority figure. But she felt that her observation uh, when the girls came back, as the girls were coming in, the girls were a little, you know, more opinionated. The the people that normally they would be very fearful of, they were not. It seemed like they were not even conscious, and they were like kind of just talking to these teachers like they thought they should. And and I found that interesting. So I mean, there is authority, but one of the things that I found myself asking myself is whether or to what extent our schools sometimes may create an environment that stifles um, the personality or the individuality of our girls to come out and perhaps build in them that sense of, you know, timidity, the sense of, you know, just wanting to submit and not voice out. Because one of the things we're saying is, like, I will read something here, but the issue of the girl child's voice in the conversations going on around them. So to what extent or what to what extent do you think our schools could help nurture this or actually stifle this in your own experience? Um sure. So that's such an interesting question. Uh you know I, I, I agree with kind of the idea of overcorrecting. If there is an imbalance, it, it must not just be subtly corrected, it must be overcorrected. So mm -hmm. uh, this, this does mean saying, look, we're going to make a space specifically for girls because mm -hmm. these spaces haven't been created. And explain mm -hmm. how, how it is apparent that these spaces haven't been created. Uh, you and mm -hmm. I were speaking earlier before this call how I'm uh, I'm a big fan of literature and a literature major, and only now in my 30s am I discovering all sorts of feminist literature that simply was mm -hmm. not available at my school library. So whoever mm -hmm. was collecting the books at my school library was doing so without an awareness of the importance of the books that need to be there. So it has to start this overcorrection and this bias towards uh, uh, representation and towards making their voices important. It has to be mm -hmm. done, I think, at, at, at every level. Um, I think mm -hmm. that would be one good way to go. Yeah, and, and so so uh, creating the spaces and, 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 and making sure there's no overcorrection. So I, I would like you said you are privileged to have seen, um, you know, you have a, you had a sister who was much younger than you. You have a 12-year-old daughter. You have a three-year-old daughter. When you look back at their, I mean, the different generations and you think about uh, their sense of positioning to be hard, are there any stark differences you see? Are there things that are just panning out differently for your girl who is 12 years old um, compared to your sister who perhaps was younger than you as you're growing up? That's such an interesting question. I was just with the both of them before this call. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like my sister's generation, so, so she is now 23. Uh, mm -hmm. We're taught to be more vocal, more angry. The Gen Zers, no, mm -hmm. and uh, they're they're part of this overcorrection that I spoke about, you know, mm -hmm. and and I think that's quite good. Uh, to see this younger generation now come up, they're not as angry, it mm -hmm. seems, 
Um, I look at my nieces who who are also 14, 15, 16, 17, and they're not as uh, uh, so somewhat radical. Um, I, I'd be interested to know why. What, what's the difference? Maybe it's just a certain level of maturity and awareness to understand how bad the system is. Maybe you have to be a little bit in your 20s to, to create that, that, that matureness. But I would like them to be a little bit angrier. I read my daughter a lot of angry <laughs> feminist poetry. <laughs> Ooh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, yes, there's... there's a, a lot of differences going along the generation. I think that the I think that the Gen Zers didn't catch the worst of the Instagram. They came into the Instagram mm-hmm. already in their late teens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, while this other generation that is coming Instagram at the age of twelve is more, I think they're more scared to speak out because they're in such a, a socially critical environment as Instagram, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so I think that that's definitely a part of it. So what do you think we can do deliberately if, uh, or, uh, like you're saying, one of the things you're doing is you're t- part of the way you're trying to get your child to perhaps get, you know, get that aspect that you think they should get. You know, it's very interesting when you say, um, I'm trying to get my girls to be a little angrier. I was remember, I, I was just remembering something I used to do with my daughters. I have three daughters and, um, I used to, when they're growing up, maybe by three, five years old, I would take them, I would sometimes would go out to the house and like we're out, like there's open space. And I would just try to tell them, you know, like scream, you know, scream, you know, like. <laughs> I love that. And, and I was just like screaming out, you know, and, and the thing I for like me that. was like, Yes, I want you to be expressive. I want you to that you can internalize your feelings. And when you think things are not right, get it out, you know. Um, and and I'm, I'm just remembering my firstborn daughter. Um, right now she's 23. And she always jokes. She says, you know, mom, I was your PhD in uh, because like she went to she went to like eight different schools. And one of the schools I remember one of the schools she was in at some point, she was in this private school. And in this private school, um, one they were being trained to be so docile and looking so um, calm. So first of all, they, they they had to walk with their hands at the back. Yes. Anytime they were walking, oh they were supposed goodness. to walk with their with their hands at the back. And and I would go to school and watch them. And for me, it wasn't it wasn't adding up. I was like, which world are they going to walk? Uh, with their hands at the back to look very timid and docile and, and submissive. I mean, I want them to be respectful, but I also want them to be able to shout out when they need to shout out. So uh, I tried, so I tried having a having a conversation with uh, with the teacher, but nobody seemed to have a problem with it. And then something happened. So um, one of the days we went for like a church meeting. I had just received uh, her her report card, and the teacher said she, um, she's very quiet, she will not speak where people are and all that. That's what the teachers had summarized in her report card. So just days after getting her report card, we happened to go for a church meeting, like we went to the park with friends and everything. And two things yes. happened that just blew me away. One, we had a race, people were racing, like people were racing, and she raced so well, Everybody was saying, wow, she can run. And the thing that was 
quite annoying for me is that I was amongst the people saying, wow, she can run. Yes. And the other thing was when we were having some fun time and people were like poking at each other and making fun at each other, she came out quite aggressive and she was poking at person A and poking at person B. And I was sitting there watching her. And as I was watching mm. her, what was playing in my mind was her report card. And what I was seeing in that environment was totally, totally different from what the teacher had captured and presented to me as my daughter. Yes. One, I'd never known she could run and I was finding out with other people. Number two, the, the teachers had made me understand that she was this quiet girl who can never step out and speak and everything. But here she was in an environment where she was actually stepping out and she was, and these were older people and she was busy poking at people and poking at people. And But the teacher said she's very shy and timid. So I said, but who is the real one? I asked myself, who is the real daughter of mine? Is it this one that I'm seeing in the park? Or is it the one that the teacher is presenting to me? And if the teacher has a wrong interpretation of who my daughter is, what are the ramifications? Yeah. So actually what yeah. happened after that is I transferred my daughter from that school and I took her now. She was in, Remember that was a private school. I took her to a public school and I told her, you know, I want you to go to a public school. I want you to rough it out because the public school are more rough, you know. So there would be in the bus and... This boy tried to, you know, do this to me. And I'd be like, so what did you do when he tried to do that? And she'd be like, I fought back. And I'm like, yes, that's the spirit. You don't nice. sit there and just cry, waiting for help. You have to find a way of how to defend yourself, even as you wait to report the person. And so she went to this public school and she just had to toughen up. Uh, and then after that, again, I got her out. And after that, she did homeschooling. So anyway, she's had she had a crazy <laughs> period. But I hear you because... I, I was never comfortable. I mean, right now she's a journalist and she's so loud and I'm thinking this doesn't fit with what your teacher thought you were. And I think if I left you there, perhaps these dimensions would not have been built and shaped. So I'm just sitting here and thinking um, when we say I was reading, I was reading um, a poster from the social media that was posted by one of the one of the I'm just going to read it out. Um it was from the EU Girls Week, and they had this poster where they had girls carrying, you know, speakers, and they say, "Speak your mind for a world of equality." And they're saying, um, you know, the girls, they, the world needs to hear your voice. But I'm wondering whether, if we are not careful, we might be demanding this of our girls to be able to speak out, because even in sessions like, you know, situations where perhaps it's a relationship or a sexual harassment venture by the boys. I know that part of what actually counts is the extent to which the girl can stamp down her feet and scream no and say, get out of my face or something. So might, are there, I mean, listening to my story and my girl's situation and that report card that I received about my daughter and thinking about the schools and you as a parent, do you think that sometimes our schools if we are not careful, because we want, you know, we are, perhaps we're just caught up in wanting the 80% or 90%, we might fail to deliberately build opportunity to build, I mean, to help the girls, for example, be able to speak their mind. And yet, this Absolutely. is and how important this is for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
I have I have so many thoughts to 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 all of your great points. Um, the the first one is about the the, the report card. So I mm-hmm. am to this day traumatized by my report cards. I, you know, they'd always say the same doesn't <laughs> fulfill its potential. So to this day, I'm not thinking I'm never going to fulfill my potential. I don't know what I have to achieve <laughs> in my life to fulfill the potential. So they are incredibly impactful. Um, as a teacher, I would keep that in mind uh, when mm-hmm. I was grading my students. I would try not mm-hmm. to make it kind of as a statement of their character, but more as a mm-hmm. snapshot of where they are now. And mm-hmm. um, at, at, at our own school, um, the feedback on the students is given together, uh, mm-hmm. especially some, obviously not every student, but either, you know, the top or the problematic or, you know, the, the, the middle ones are fine. And, and it's thought about how are we going to transmit this so that they don't think this is a determination of their character. We're not saying this is who you mm-hmm. are. We're not saying you're somebody mm-hmm. who can't fulfill your potential. Um, mm-hmm. We're not saying you're somebody who's distracted in class. You know, that usual kind of feedback we'd have in report cards. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we, we are aware of two things. One, how it determines the character for the child and how it determines the character for the parent. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so, so it's definitely something that I think that, 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 that teachers need to, to, to keep in mind when they're giving this feedback, um, how, how mm-hmm. powerful it is. You're completely right. Mm-hmm. Your other point that I thought was so interesting was about this uh, campaign now of, of girls, mm-hmm. uh, let your voices be heard, which is mm-hmm. a nice thought, but it's mm-hmm. not great because it shifts mm-hmm. again, the onus onto the girls, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of brings us back to, to the sexual assault situation in which we tell girls, oh, don't walk out of the parking lot late at night. Oh, don't do this. Don't do that. No. Why? Why are we teaching them to survive in a jungle? That shouldn't be the point. It shouldn't be a jungle. It shouldn't be. Maybe we are living in a jungle. Their... We are, but then we need to civilize it. Mm-hmm. We need to tame it a little bit mm-hmm. more because we're we're living in a jungle by choice. We're saying boys will be boys, lions will eat impalas, and that's just the way it is. And it's not mm-hmm. true because now you're teaching boys to be boys when you're saying that. You're, uh, you, you know, men are created. The masculinity is, mm-hmm. is not a given. It's, it's raised mm-hmm. and nurtured. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that if they're going to tell girls speak up, then they must tell boys be quiet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, yeah, and no, you must no that's boys. the ideal. That's the ideal. But here you are knowing that... Uh, well, we are still trying to get our voice out there to tell the boys to keep quiet. And I think in the next part of the show, I really want us to come back to the boy child and what the how what are some of the stereotypes and some of the biases and all these and the masculinity issues that come into the context of powering up our girls and what schools yeah. have a role to play. But you're right, in the ideal situation, it shouldn't be like we are surviving and we are we are being armed up to survive. But on the other hand, um, the reality is that before we sort ourselves out, you know, you need to be more cautious and or you need to. This is what perhaps how you might have to survive. My daughter always wants she yeah. tells me, I want to learn karate. I want to learn uh, boxing. And sometimes you feel, hmm, uh, what's what's firing this up? There's just this sense that she feels, you know, if somebody messes up with me. I'm going to deal yeah. with them. And I think they are, I've seen some interventions, like I think in Kenya, in one of the, one of the, the, the settlements 
where because there were such high levels of um, uh, sexual violence and uh, gender-based violence, there have been programs that are for women to learn how to protect themselves. So they are learning boxing or they're learning karate. And yes. I think it's just like, well, this is the world we find ourselves in. So girl, if you're going to survive, perhaps you just need to arm yourself. Yes. Yes. Anyway, let's hold that thought and come back to it. I want us to go on to okay. an advertisement break and then we come back and talk about the masculinity issue and things related to gender-based violence and how, to what extent our schools can actually help to shape that boy that can keep quiet and create an environment for the girls to speak or to ensure that, you know, we don't have all these harassment issues. What is it that you can do from the formative years? And I think it would be very interesting to hear from you, not just as somebody who is interacting with schools, but somebody who has a boy child. What are some of the things that perhaps you're particularly doing to hopefully create uh, an, an enabling environment for the boy to thrive, but that also allows the girls to thrive. But let's take an advertisement break and come back to that part of the conversation. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Okay, so we're back. And I think just listening to that part of um, um, the last part of the advertisement about, you know, actual development of people, dealing with people, not wanting to please people. But it connects a little bit into what we're saying, the world in which our, our girls are growing. And I, I want us to look at the issues of masculinity, the issues, um, and then perhaps dab a little bit into the issues of gender-based violence. But before we do that, I want to read something here that was actually um, a sad um, reading for me. It connects to a girl child, and um, and and especially remember when we started at the beginning, we said that the issues of student um, completion rates are still lower for the girl child in most part of sub-Saharan Africa. Sometimes it's up to forty-four percent. Um, 
for 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 the girls um those who drop out of school don't complete lower secondary school but it i mean what also um the data seem to suggest is that this is even worse for countries where there's conflict and violence and just in connection to that i just want to read a tweet um that i came across two days ago and it was being it was it was a tweet by the embassy of switzerland but it was actually in connection to something that happened in cameroon so our own africa and they were saying uh they were shocked and deeply saddened by the killing of a girl on her way to school in bear so um and of course they're saying you know um that there, sh there should be an investigation or opening of an investigation uh and to and, and appealing to all to engage in serious discussion for a peaceful solution. So first of all, just thinking that a girl on her way to school actually meets her death. And these are, um, this is a reality. And, and listening to, looking at the feedback that came from, I believe some of the citizens from Cameroon, we know there has been a long conflict going on in Cameroon. It was like, well, this is not the first time. In fact, they were upset that they, 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 the embassy was saying, you know, investigations should be opened and all that because they're saying, you know, so many of this has happened and all these statements of investigation doesn't seem to stop anything. So anyway, there's a bigger story to the whole Cameroon issue as we may appreciate. But just stopping to think that in this day and age, we still have students, and in this case, African girl childs whose lives are at risk, and some of them actually lose their lives in the process of seeking education. And you can almost think for a second that the person who, whatever way that she, she died, whether it was a stray bullet or something, in most cases, it was not a stray bullet from a woman. It was a stray bullet from a man. And this is just a tip of uh, issues related to violence. Of course, this, was, this, was, this, is, this wasn't gender-based, I would say, but a girl lost her life on her way to school. And I know that in the last few months, uh, Mozambique has had some conflicts, I would say. How has it been for the girls, in your own opinion? Um, the ones who perhaps are not safe enough, maybe in the urban areas, what is um, the toil that the girls have had to pay or the price that the girls have had to pay in this whole process? And what are the realities, even for the teachers teaching under those circumstances and trying to still power up our African girls? Yes. Um, so in, in to, to update some people, so in the north, uh, of Mozambique mm -hmm. in the Cabo Delgado province mm -hmm. nearby where several uh, gas deposits have been found. Um, extremist violence has broken out similar to a Boko Haram type. Uh, here it's called Al-Shabaab. Um, and they have been carrying out Boko Haram type uh, assaults on the area. I believe that's what Dr. Harina is mm -hmm. talking about. And in the last 12 months, we had 51 uh, school children kidnapped, most of them girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, we managed to recover uh, three girls. Ooh, it's 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 a media black hole in terms of what happens to these girls. Uh, mm -hmm. The most of what we know, speculation from from the accounts of the girls uh, from Boko Haram, their experiences. You know, it's it's usually to be integrated into the culture uh, forcefully. Um, you know, through torture and 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 all sorts of, of horrible, horrible things. So it's 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 a massive fear 
and it's something that these extremist groups prey on. You know, uh, we want to protect our girls. So if we tell you, look, you might feel like you want to fight, that's fine, but we're coming for your girls. So how mm -hmm. badly do you want to fight? You know, so if you think, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to fight this guy one on one. And if I lose my life, that's fine. I'm defending my home. But if this guy says, no, 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 I'm not even going to try and fight you. I'm coming straight for your girl. Oh. It's 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 different. Sad. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you will give up. You will say, okay, fine. I'll just leave the area or, or, or whatever. And that's I believe that's part of the strategy. You know, the impact is obviously uh, uh, schools being moved, schools being closed within that area. It's already the poorest region in one of the poorest countries in the world. So, mm -hmm. uh, we, which is why extremism is allowed to to, to develop and foster there. Um, it's 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 very scary uh, as a woman working in that situation. In an uh, mm -hmm. earlier conversation you and I had off, I was speaking about the the African older girl, shall we say, mm -hmm. in her twenties, who is who is now in the military, mm -hmm. and now she's going to be deployed up there. And it's a much 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 bigger risk for her mm -hmm. than it is for her male colleagues if she gets caught alive. What she has to mm -hmm. look forward to is much, much worse than her male colleagues. And that's, uh, you know, something military should take into consideration, all of that. So it's it's just a horrible situation. We hope it doesn't spread mm -hmm. much further south. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's sparsely populated. So if you think of 51 children out of what is mm -hmm. not more than tens of thousands, it's a lot. It's a lot because it's a sparsely populated area. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's having a tremendous impact. Uh, and aside mm -hmm. from the conflict we've been having all the way up in the north, we've had a conflict in the center, which was only resolved three days ago when the leader of that rebel group was killed. And that conflict mm -hmm. would also, they would kidnap girls to release them. They don't have as much money and all that to keep it. But it was the same kind of uh, terrorism by targeting women. Uh, wow. and, and yes, uh, so these are definitely big big concerns. And then on a, on a larger concern, we mm -hmm. have um, predators within the school system, male predators to, mm -hmm. to pass, to get grades, what you have to do, uh, the gatekeepers at universities. So you can imagine, I'm not sure of what the latest numbers are, but there's something like over 20,000, 30,000 candidacies for, for university for our national university, Universidad de Eduardo Mondlane, a year, and there's only about a thousand or so spaces. So um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, predatory action happening there. So they they face a number of difficulties in those areas, which at an institutional level might have an answer, mm -hmm. right? So if you look at the universities and we, we have to declare, again, we have to overcorrect uh, I like the mm -hmm. term of moral bankruptcy. We have to declare moral mm -hmm. bankruptcy in, 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 in that and in the school. So at an institutional level, it can be addressed if it is directly declared. The way we declared the same thing on child marriage. Child marriage, we always turned a blind eye until it was mm -hmm. clearly said child marriage is wrong and needs to stop. So now it's still mm -hmm. going on, but it's not, it's not an open secret. It used to be an open secret before. You could go and mm -hmm. see a child marriage happening in the country. Now it's, it's not. So these overcorrections are necessary. To, to, to change the system. Yeah, true. Over corrections. And and but and and just to perhaps in a very brief way think about it at the formative years. Because when you think about these males that are 
predators against our girls and that predatory aspect starts i believe it doesn't come up when this person is sitting in that position um as a dean or as a lecturer or something it is something that essentially uh perhaps is shaped over time as this person mm. is growing up there's a sense of value and respect so thinking about it and thinking about it as uh, if you think about the boys who are currently running in and out of our classroom tomorrow, there'll be tomorrow's lecturers. There'll be tomorrow's whoever yes. else alongside our yes. daughters. What do you think we, how is it that or for you as a, as, a, as, a, as a father of a boy, what is it that perhaps you can say specifically I'm doing ABCD to ensure that my boy is not um, amongst those uh, who actually are perpetrators of all these things that we really are uncomfortable about. But yes. how can, and, and, and looking at that, what do you think could happen in the school to try and help yes. shape, uh, avoid, us avoid some of these things? Yes. It, this is one of those areas where the teacher does have more power than me as a parent, because the mm -hmm. teacher is the one who's, 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 doing two things. They're giving the child the text and they're teaching the child how to interpret this text. Mm -hmm. I don't spend as much time with my child doing that. So we have to realize mm -hmm. that, that, that the, most of the text that we have nowadays is steeped and saturated in sexism and misogyny and all sorts of issues. So the teacher mm -hmm. must teach the child how to look at these things critically. Once mm -hmm. race became a known factor, we know that uh, race is an existing bias in, in teaching and in the texts we receive, we were taught to look critically for race bias in texts. Mm -hmm. And we, the teacher must now teach the same lesson to the student. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and if there is a feminine voice absent in whichever text it is, that must be highlighted. It can't just be glossed mm -hmm. over as if the absence of female voices is a norm, which is how mm -hmm. I was taught. Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. is one, as, as, as a parent, you know, I try to teach my son, you know, the thin line between being a gentleman and empowering women, you know, because I mm -hmm. do think it's nice to open a door for a lady. I, I'm, I'm a little mm -hmm. bit old school in that way. I do want to teach mm -hmm. him to, to be, to be uh, uh, what's, what's the word, chivalrous. I do want to teach him to be chivalrous. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, not, I'm not that radical a feminist. Um, <laughs> uh, so, mm -hmm. so as a parent, I can try and, do, I can try and teach him social norms. And I, I, mm -hmm. I, I am the only male role model in his life in this at home. But when he is mm -hmm. at school, his role models are the other students around him. It's his teacher. Mm -hmm. It's the entertainment he mm -hmm. consumes. So all these other role models, either they must adapt so the teacher can control uh, the behavior of the male kids in the class. And the teacher can also so look, when you're looking at these other male role models on TV, your favorite action star, your favorite whatever, be aware of this. Be aware mm -hmm. that even though your favorite singer is in this music video with 30 girls, he's been happily married to the same woman since high school. For example, Snoop Dogg. How many people know that Snoop Dogg has been married to the same woman since he was 17? Mm -hmm. He's not mm -hmm. that guy. Yes. That you see on, on the... On the mm -hmm. Yes, that's, he's a, that's a character he's playing. But that character teaches toxic masculinity to other boys. Other boys think, oh, to be cool, I must have three girls on my arm. Snoop Dogg doesn't have three girls on his arm. His wife would smack him upside mm -hmm. the head if he ever tried, <laughs> because he's been with the same. <laughs> because he's been with the and same. And perhaps the girls person. are thinking it's okay for three of us to hang on the same hand. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
they're, they're not shown his strong wife. Yes, they're not shown his strong mm-hmm. wife who helped him when he mm-hmm. was broke, who stood by him, mm-hmm. and 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 who was he was she's a powerful businesswoman in her own sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so so bringing those people in and 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 our curriculums must be rewritten and looked at to say why are all of why is Marie Curie the only name that comes up when it's female contributions to science? Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. to bring in mm-hmm. all of the other uh, all of the other names from history to science to 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 everything. So it's 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 a top down, and here the schools have more of a role to play than than the parent. I think the parent can help with social norms. It can help with when we're watching a movie to show, look, this part is a little bit problematic over here, what you're seeing. Uh, but mm-hmm. it really is up to the teacher to teach critical thinking. Wow. So the teachers, the teachers, I believe, are listening and are thinking, wow, when do you expect me to do that? I have, I have these <laughs> volumes of uh, mathematics courses or history to, 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 to teach. But I think what you're saying, and I like the way you said the text and teaching the students how to critically engage with the text. So I might not spend all the time discussing everything, but if I train the students, if I build it in my day-to-day teaching and try to build in real-life examples uh, and allow, I mean, train our students on how to think and interpret things and bring in some of these real examples in the classroom and be deliberate about it. There's something you talked about, social norms, and this is actually also found in the classroom. I could be in a classroom yes. where, you know, the boys are always having their hands up or when the girls are talking, they are, yes. you know, they have they have the loud voices, their voices are just breaking and they start making some sort of noise that will make the girl feel a little, you know, timid. So the, as teachers, we need to ask ourselves, um, what are the classroom norms that we are putting in place or school norms that you're putting in place that would actually engender this very constructive relationship between the boy child and the girl child in our schools. And there's more we can have a discussion on that. And I want to come back to you at some point and talk about issues to do with labor. I know you you in, interface with the uh, business association in your country. And one of the things that is of concern for the girl child about the girl child is that even in cases where we've had, you know, a significant number of students going to tertiary level, sometimes there's even a reverse gap there, but we're still not seeing as many women in, I mean, the job issues, there's still such a big gap. And the statistics are actually showing that Africa is lagging behind places like Asia, and Latin America, because they're saying, for example, that the female labor force participation rates in sub-Saharan Africa is is around uh, 24 uh, um, or 20. But when you look at Latin America or you look at Asia, it is 53% and 59% respectively. So there is a concern right there about issues of uh, female labor force and what's going on. And since you're right in the business world and you are interfacing with all that. I think it would be nice to hear why this might be the case and what that means for us in the formative years, what we could do to help correct that so that we don't get our girls finishing school, but then it doesn't work out for them in terms of getting jobs. But as we think about doing that, I'm happy to see that our next speaker, uh, I mean, our other guest is now in the house, Yasmin, who is from the um, African Science Academy. And uh, I'm going to ask her to uh, call in so that she can join us um, uh, as a guest, because we, we want, as we think about labor and as we think about um, the participation, so welcome on board, as we think about all this, part of one of the areas is 
what kind of jobs are available and are our girls being prepared for that? And there's a lot of conversation about STEM. Um, but before I can get Yasmin to actually talk to us about the African Science Academy on what they're doing with the girls in terms of STEM, we're going to take a short break as we listen to the news for this weekend. So yeah, there we go. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In tech news, the government continues to work to connect a further 884 schools to superfast broadband by the end of March 2022. 1,084 schools in rural areas across the UK now have access to gigabit-capable full-fibre broadband, according to a government announcement. Counties seeing the highest number of upgrades include Norfolk, Wolverhampton, North Yorkshire and the Scottish Highlands. The work was carried out as part of the £5 billion Project Gigabit, which is a continuation of the local full-fibre network scheme that began in 2019. The local full-fibre network scheme initially aimed to connect over 100 primary schools in communities which would not have been included in commercial rollouts of faster broadband. Nadine Dorries, UK Digital Secretary, said the government was levelling up pupils' and teachers' access to the fastest future-proof broadband. The government has invested £30 million in the Connect the Classroom scheme, which further aims to improve education by bringing high-speed Wi-Fi and cloud services to over 1,000 schools. The Eye newspaper is reporting that most schools in England have now been targeted by anti-vaccination campaigners, with some staff threatened with physical harm and protesters even invading school sites in some areas. A poll by the Association of School and College Leaders has also shown that 9 out of 10 schools have experienced disruption to teaching and learning as a result of the coronavirus absences. The survey took responses from over 550 heads and principals of schools and colleges, with 79% saying they had received emails from anti-vax campaigners threatening legal action. 13% reported seeing protesters outside of their school premises, whilst 18 schools reported that protesters had gained access. Jeff Barton, Askell's General Secretary, described the protesters' activities as, at best, unhelpful and at worst, very distressing. Mr Barton also highlighted his frustrations that vaccination programme is apparently beset with delays and is running behind schedule, meaning that around 42% of heads feel their schools will not receive vaccinations before the target date of next Friday's October half-term. The Eye is also reporting on comments made by Minister of State for School Standards Robin Walker, which gave the strongest indication yet that the current pay freeze on teachers' salaries may be lifted. The pay freeze came into effect in September after Chancellor Rishi Sunak imposed a pause on public sector pay last November. In July, the Department for Education Independent Pay Review Body formally warned ministers that extending the freeze into the 2022-23 financial year would have a severe impact on the profession, jeopardising efforts to attract and even retain high-quality graduates. Mr Walker was responding to a question from the I as to whether he felt the profession deserved a pay rise. He responded that he would like to see things moving forward in that respect. Mr Walker also said that he wanted to see pay increase by pushing from the bottom, with the government's manifesto commitment to increase starting salaries to £30,000. 
He did, however, acknowledge that any increase would have to balance with school budgets, which raised the prospect that schools may not get new funding to cover any increase. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. Yes, so we're back and um, that was the Teacher Talks uh, Radio News for this weekend. And I think the first item was the issues of digitization, which really uh, connects very well with our conversation today on the International Day for the Girl Child. And we're looking at the African Girl Child, powering up the African Girl Child. And just to note that this year's theme for the International Day for the Girl Child was Digital Generation, Our Generation. So I will come back to you, uh, Yuris, for us to really look at, especially this issue around labor, and, and, and as we throw digitization into the mix, is it making things easier for our girls? Is there something that we need to stop and think out if girls are going to take um, advantage of the opportunities that are coming by every day? And I think that's the best point to bring in Yasmin. So Yasmin, welcome on board. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please introduce yourself and maybe just jump right through and tell us a little bit about the African Science Academy. Sure, thank you, Harin, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Yasmin Al-Jabouri. I'm Director of Programs at African Gifted Foundation. We're a, a standing mm -hmm. also registered in Ghana and we have a school called African Science Academy um, in Ghana and our school serves gifted African students from across the continent and ultimately our aim is to develop Africa's future STEM leaders um, and diversify the STEM industries by bringing more women into STEM. So we we seek out girls from across the continent. We do this by using like a network of volunteers and working with different organizations such as Halley Access Network to find really gifted young African women with a passion for maths and science. And we provide them with the opportunity of a world-class education at African Science Academy. So all STEM focused, we focus on maths, further maths and physics, um, but also stuff like uh, robotics and computer programming and really developing their skills that will get, get them the skills they need for the future um, and open up the job market to them. Once they've studied with us, um, they are far more likely to get scholarships. So about 95% will go on to get full scholarships at universities across the continent and around the world as well. And I was, I was just listening mm -hmm. to you both talking about, you know, how we develop confidence in girls in the classroom as well. And so part of our aim at African Science Academy is to develop their leader skills, ship skills and their confidence. So doing things like um, getting them to do presentations and public speaking, introducing them to, you know, leaders and um, women in STEM during their time at the school. So to really build their confidence, knowing that they'll entering into male-dominated industries and even when they go on to university, they might be one of a few girls in the classroom. So it's about just, it's finding out these really, really, really smart girls and developing their skills and developing the leaders of the future across Africa. Thank you, Yasmin, for that introduction. Yes, uh, I, I know that um, Africa Science Academy through the African Gifted Foundation is doing an amazing job. Um, we happen to have sent two of our girls from Rwanda for the first time this year, and we're very excited that they're having that opportunity alongside 
so many other girls. And 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 one of the things that you've said is that while the focus is mathematics and physics and further mathematics and physics, actually, and they have to do this mm-hmm. in a, it's like a crash program, if I'm right, uh, within a yeah, year. Right. So really, it's quite intensive. But yet, in the midst of that, you still stop to build in other aspects like leadership skills and um, other skills that would potentially prepare prepare them for the world that they're stepping into. Mm-hmm. So um, what would you say, if you look back, uh, how many years have we, uh, how many girls have we graduated so far? And what for you are some of the key celebration points that you can say this, these are some of the key celebration points and that we would, be, would really be excited to share with the continent and maybe with the other teachers who are teaching other schools? Mm-hmm. So we've um, educated 100 students now from 10 different African countries. Um, they're all mm-hmm. studying you know, across the world. I think the key thing is, is raising their aspirations. So it's not just about asking them what they want to do and then saying, okay, I want to be an engineer. And, and that's what they say. These girls are saying things like, I want to start Africa's next first space station. Like, that's my dream. And these, these mm-hmm. are the kind of dreams that they have. And they're thinking really big but they're thinking about not just what they want to achieve and getting these jobs, but how they can impact the continent itself. So I think that's the key thing for us. It's teaching them throughout the, throughout their time that they have been given these opportunities and how can they give back and how can they better their communities and, and the continent as a whole. Um, I think the main thing for us is um, sort of teaching them that they can speak up um, and that they have a voice <laughs> and that they you know, they can be leaders. And I think lots of them come to us very, very shy and they're not used to sort of thinking this big and speaking up in the in the classroom. So mm-hmm. developing those skills. And as you said, we, we don't just focus on STEM. We do lots of extracurricular activities. So we'll do feminism workshops. They do sports as well. They have lots mm-hmm. of options to do like film club and art club. And it's mm-hmm. about sort of giving them and, and almost international school experience, but everyone at the school is African. And I think that's really key is that they get to meet students from across the continent and their peers. Um, and then they build a really strong network and they're very committed to them making a difference. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm sitting here smiling away because I think we had a bit of a conversation about the, the voice, uh, nurturing mm-hmm. our girls that they can be able to speak up. And I think it's mm-hmm. a little quote-unquote sad, uh, because as you say, the fact that you um, recruit students from across the continent, so far 10 countries, uh, obviously Mm -hmm. coming from schools that are not related in any way, one way or another. And these are students who normally have finished or are towards the tail end of the secondary school. And what you're saying, which is true for most cases, is that the kind of the observation that you make is that most of the time they come in when they are a little, you know, timid, they... they, they, Mm -hmm. They have aspirations, but yet they are not very comfortable speaking out about these aspirations or they're, they're being, there's been a set of limit in terms of what they think they can do with themselves. And then now yeah. within a year, just a year of being in the academy, because I've had the privilege of uh, being in sessions where some of the girls that have come from the school have participated in, there's a whole transformation. They're going back into their community and starting uh, community activities. And it's not so much just the maths and science that you're teaching them. And I think the reason why I'm reinforcing, I mean, I'm really amplifying this is because sometimes Mm -hmm. because of the curriculum 
um, child, I mean, the focus that we have as leaders within our education uh, education systems, what do we hold teachers accountable? Most of the time it's just how many students got 80% and how many students got this percent. So mm -hmm. teachers sometimes then feel stifled. They don't have time or rather they do not create space and see the value, for example, for the co-curricular activities. Because I believe even in your academy, part of where the students get their voice is all these additional activities that they do, whether it's sports, whether it's film, whether it's interacting and doing a presentation in a workshop. And that seems like that's part of what we are missing. It used to be there more, I think, in the older days. I, 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 in my days, we had more opportunity to go out and do drama and poetry in a public school. Mm -hmm. But I think as the competition is getting really tough, we are losing this out. And I think it's having an impact because... Um, as I was saying, the issue of the the, the 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 labor force, not seeing as many women in the labor force, even amongst those who went to the higher levels, like got into tertiary institution. And I just want to bring Yuri into this conversation as we draw event towards a close. I'll be coming back to Yasmin to say, so the teachers are listening. If they, for example, they were thinking of getting their girls on board, what are some of the things that they could do or where can they get the information? But before we do that, Yuri, as a man... And as, of course, working in the business uh, environment, what are we not doing right? Why are we not having as many women as in Africa in the labor force compared to, let's say, Latin America or, um, or, or, or Asia? And why are some of these things that Yasmin is pointing out to missing out in our schools? Hi. So it goes back to one of the things. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hi. So it goes back to one of the things I was speaking about earlier when we spoke about how uh, parents often choose to invest in the boys in, in, in poor areas when they have not so many resources to go around and they choose. So the highest employer in, in, in Mozambique, and I believe in most cases in Africa, is still the state by large. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By far, in, in Mozambique, it's uh, upwards of 70%, I believe. And how you get employment in the States is, again, through the, you know, network aunties and uncles system, as we know. And, and uh, you know, this tender system, which, which can be a bit corrupt. So those systems are geared towards the person who's already been nurturing those contacts and who mm -hmm. will have the financial backing by their parents or by their network to be able to move on in the next steps. And as I said before, unfortunately, that priority is still given to the boys. So through state hiring practices, which are supposed to be transparent and actually open up for everybody, uh, they can end up being a bit of the opposite um, mm -hmm. in some cases. In private practice, you do see... Uh, more and more women representation, but uh, the kind of work that uh, I, I hope I don't get the name wrong here, uh, Yasmina is, is is doing, is so important because girls here are still very much in the soft arts in the what here in Mozambique we would call the letters. So uh, psychology is by far one of the largest areas they study, uh, followed by management and then areas like uh, law or accounting. But the skills that are necessary in the future. Are, mm -hmm. are, are more developed skills than those. It's, it's the data skills, it's the digital, digitalization skills. I'm working now on a digitalization process for the um, electronic government. So, you know, in the future, the government will be electronic. More and more of it is. So uh, the kind of work she's doing in terms of narrowing that, that, that uh, sorry, 
uh, widening that vision, which is currently narrow, is so important so that they have the right set of skills to, to, to be relevant in the future labor market. True, true. Um, you know, you said something about networking and um, I, I was reminded of, again, uh, a Twitter conversation that I saw, if I'm not wrong, and there was like a banter between, I think, the men and the boy and the women. And there was a conversation about what do we women do when they meet in their women groups, you know, um, uh, perhaps, you know, like in, in countries like where I come from. There's something called chama. So women tend to have all these groups. And when they meet, you know, it's like, you know, this money is going to move from this person to this person or something like that. Self-help kind of. Uh, and I think the, the, this person on Twitter was teasing the women and saying, look, when the men meet, that's not the kind of conversation they are having. They're having a lot of conversation about what opportunity is where and how can we pull resources. You know, like, like, you know, like we need to up our game as women in terms of the kind of conversations we have and our capacity for networking and being able to smell opportunities from a distance and perhaps position ourselves for it. So it's very, very interesting that we're having these conversations and and how some of these things make all the difference. You can have the grade, but if you don't have all this cultural capital that would allow you to thrive in the kind of environment which is getting more competitive, um, then it becomes really hard. And I think the issue of having these girls, for example, who have gone through the same school and you know they're being exposed, obviously, um, as they go to the higher levels, and I believe they remain connected, then already they're creating a network that hopefully they can tap into as they keep climbing up the ladder. So um, I have to take another advertisement break. Then we come back to our parting shots. And I'll be asking Yasmin, the teachers who are here, What's a, are you recruiting currently? What is it that they should uh, look out for? Where can they get more information? Some of our schools just did their exams. How can we point some of the girls to reach out and see if they qualify to come into your academy? I know you have talked about 10 countries, and I believe your aspiration is to even get more countries into the academy. But let's take a final advertisement break. Need support with your phonics teaching. Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more, and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. 
All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Okay, so Yasmin, if I want to uh, alert my student about the opportunity, the potential opportunity to join African Science Academy, what should I look out for? And are you, are you currently recruiting? Hello? Yes, ma'am? Um, Yuri, can you hear Yasmin? I can't hear on my end. Sometimes that happens on my end. I can hear you. Okay. So as we wait for Yasmin to connect, uh, could I, Yuri, you are, you are closing thoughts. Of course, we've just cracked the surface in terms of having this conversation. But what are some of your key takeaways or what are some of the key messages that you want to leave the teacher with, the teachers who are listening, and perhaps your key takeaway as a girl child parent and also somebody who is working with schools. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, all of your points in your conversations were so enlightening. It was, a, it was a real education. So one of my key takeaways is definitely about uh, how the teacher has to think about their role within the larger ecosystem that is, that mm -hmm. is raising the girl child. Uh, definitely all of the challenges uh, that come to the solutions. As I said, the teachers are are overworked, and uh, there's very little time. So how can how how can we put even more on their shoulders? Um, it's a it's a tricky and important line to follow. Uh, another takeaway would be perhaps that, as you said, there is a lot to be done on the curriculum. That is difficult long-term change. So. Perhaps uh, some of the short-term change we can do is is have the teachers be aware of, of what we've talked about and give the mm -hmm. kids space and make their after-school or after-class time more available. Perhaps mm -hmm. even small differences such as not going to the teachers and faculty lounge all the time and checking in on the students who are maybe eating by themselves or would rather eat in a classroom. And uh, being physically present, much the same way we'd, we'd say to a parent, I think would be one interesting short-term uh, way to go about it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I like the way you've just taken us there to the parent because I think the teachers may not be able to do this alone. So the more we are able to enhance the collaboration between the teachers and the parents, as you talked about the ecosystem, perhaps the more effective we will be with the little resources and time that we have. But indeed, um, one of the things I would amplify, as you've said, in addition to teaching the maths and the science, and I was a math student, physics, chemistry, I loved it. But I think I always say what actually, part of what actually has made me thrive is because I was also, you know, in all the extracurricular activities, reciting poems and doing drama and going out and having to face out with the boys during um, the school outings. And out of that, I believe I sharpened my game. So this extracurricular activity, unfortunately, sometimes we shun them and we say, instead of PE, I'm going to teach that extra maths lesson, or instead of sport, we're going to stay back to revise that you know, English or literature. I think we need to actually allow the students some of these activities because that's where they really get to build and sharpen um, their personalities and actually prepare for the real world. So a real key takeaway there about the parents and the extracurricular activity as part of what we need to pay attention to deliberately if you're going to power up 
the African culture. So Yasmin, I think you're back. Uh, we couldn't I'm hear back, you at some yes. point. So please just tell us a little bit of how teachers could perhaps point the students towards uh, Africa Science Academy, the ones that perhaps could um, benefit from that. Because sometimes the challenge also is just girls not knowing the opportunities that exist around them. And so if I knew I could actually end up in an academy like yours, then perhaps it would change the way I look at what I'm doing. So what, what should mm -hmm. the teachers know about your academy? So we're looking for students that are really passionate about maths and science. So any students mm -hmm. you have that are and that have done particularly well. So they need to have completed like their secondary school certificate or their O-levels or the equivalent by August 2022. So applications are open for a next academic year, which runs from August 2022 to June 23. They need to be uh, fluent in English. Um, but our key thing is they're very bright, but we want them to have a passion for learning um, and a passion for making change. So mm -hmm. all of the students can, will be offered full scholarships. So their means and their background was, is not an issue at all in applying and they can apply online. And I'm also, um, if you have a mailing list or maybe I could share in this, in this uh, chat group, uh, we have a prospectus and people can apply online. So maybe I'll share my email address in this as well. Um, okay. But we can also mm -hmm. ask people, we can, we've got volunteers uh, based around Africa as well, so we can ask someone to do a presentation if anyone's interested. True. And, and I think, uh, uh, because sometimes when, when some of our teachers here are online, then we think, wow, not all my students are going to access that. I know, like, for example, in Rwanda last year, we mm -hmm. had, um, um, I think we coordinated uh, getting the girls to apply. And then mm -hmm. after that, the, you know, there was a physical doing of exams and all that. So I think you're right to say uh, if you can share the information on the chat and I can also beam it out later to the other people who are listening. But I think right. most importantly, as you're saying, one of the things that is important to do, even for that girl child who is still in senior one, is not yet, I mean, it's two years away from doing O-level and then maybe applying. Just passing this information and getting our girls to know that there are such opportunities is really important. Uh, I mean, I have a 12-year-old daughter and and sometimes, I mean, recently she told me, I don't like doing city, but I like my future more. So I'm still going to do it, you know. So <laughs> there's a way she's already looking at what do I want to achieve? And even though this is not, I'm not enjoying this, but she's like, I'm building my portfolio and, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to do stuff that would, when time comes for me to apply, I will be able to get into the thing that I want to do. So just being able to open up their eyes to some of these things, I think is sometimes what our girls miss out on. Because sometimes all they have seen is the immediate situation that they are in. And as you've said, their financial situation is not going to be a roadblock to their accessing mm -hmm. a world-class school like yours. It's just them having passion in learning, giving their all in STEM education if it's something that they're really connected to, and then stepping out uh, to be considered for an opportunity like yours, and there are a number of others. So just opening up our African child, girl child's mind and eyes to some of these opportunities is also very critical as part of our powering up our girls. So thank you for sharing um, the, 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 the website. And once again, I want to thank both of you for being here um, and being part of the conversation today. How are schools 
we can play or enhance the role or enhance, strengthen what we are currently doing in terms of powering up the African culture. There's more we could still talk about, but I think we've touched on some things that our teachers and all the other stakeholders that will get a, an opportunity to listen to this. There's quite a bit already within this that we can go chewing on. And if we only act on one or two of them, we'll actually have contributed to some significant change or transformative push for the African culture. So this is, uh, I want to say again, thank you very much to our listeners. Shout out to all the teachers who have joined us today from different parts of the world, those who are coming in from Rwanda. I saw one of my workmates, Chris Pass, right here, and I know he was in a training. So shout out to you for taking time to listen to this show and all the other teachers. Thank you for joining. As you go back to school tomorrow on Monday, please go in with a greater sense of determination and feeling a little more equipped to engage with a girl child. They can do more if we support them and create a nurturing environment and open their eyes to the opportunities around them within the country and beyond. So this brings us to the end of the show. This is Africa's own education doctor and education evangelist, Dr. Herino Tienomenya, signing out and thanking all of us. See you next time. Let's keep it Teachers Talk Radio. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.